So welcome everyone to an Irish NFL show special in partnership with PointsBet. You can check out all our PointsBet's tech employment opportunity at www.pointsbet.ie. And I am delighted to welcome our next guest. We have talked to some of his colleagues uh, from uh, PFF in the past, but delighted to welcome the PFF lead draft analyst, Mike Renner to the show. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And I don't know how many people know that PFF actually started on that side of the pond. PFF was originally a you know, British uh, born out company. Yeah, in, indeed. We, uh, since we, we had the, the chat with Sam, but it is good to, to point it out because probably uh, a lot of people aren't aware of it. And I think maybe a nice kind of uh, tie in with, uh, with PointsBet and their offices uh, here in, in Dublin. And I suppose speaking of, of Dublin and, and all things Ireland, you know, you are a Notre Dame alum, and obviously it's a kind of quite an exciting time here because we have Notre Dame coming back to the shores in just a few months to take on Navy. And I was at the game in, in 2012 uh, when it happened. I've been to South Bend myself and, and felt the atmosphere there. And as for you, I suppose, as somebody who has been there, maybe two-parter um, potentially, like, how aware were you of the Irish heritage when you, when you were studying and, and how important do you think it will be to the uh, community in Notre Dame to see them come here? And also, given your role as, as draft analyst, Colorado is the one that everyone's talking about because of Coach Bright. But where in Notre Dame uh, do you think going in uh, to the next college season? Yeah, so at Notre Dame, I mean, everyone loves you know, the Irish connection, uh, it's, it's pretty pervasive throughout campus. There's a ton of Irish Catholic students there, obviously. Uh, and I personally would love, I know they've had, you know, multiple games now uh, over there. I'd love to get to one sometime. Now, obviously my job permitting, uh, doesn't always give me the most flexible of hours, but I will make it over there at some point for one of those games. So very excited about that. And Notre Dame next year, I, I mean, they, it's, they got the team trending the right way. I think Marcus Freeman, uh, after that slow start really, put his foot you know, on the gas and said, I'm here. I I'm a real NCAA college coach. I'm a high-end coach. And Tommy Reese did as well. They're often square. And they brought in one heck of a recruiting class and got a lot of guys who could have declared for the draft to come back. And Sam Hartman had transferred from Wake Forest. So I, I think you're going to see a team that's competing for, at, at very least, a playoff spot, if not a real deal shot at a national championship. Well, given what happened the last time they, they were, were here in, in 2012 and the kind of magical season that turned out to be, maybe it'll be the, the luck of the Irish again. But I suppose turning our attention to the, the top of, of the draft, and obviously um, we could probably have a, a whole e uh, episode of the Irish NFL show discussing the way in which the Bears ended up with the number one overall pick, but there they are. They have $100 million or thereabouts to spend in, in free agency. And obviously they have Justin Fields, but for for them, I mean, given what what we've seen with the importance of a QB on potentially a rookie deal, and and what that allows you to do for the the Bears, Mike, is it a question that they're definitely going to stick with Justin Fields and, and build around him and actually give him the opportunity to put maybe a line in place so he's not always running for his life and give him weapons? Or is there is there any possibility that they might decide, you know what, we 
Justin, you know, has done well, but we could maybe move on from him in a Cardinals, Josh Rosen type scenario. I think that is a real conversation going on inside Hallis Hall. Now, uh, are they going to really man up and pull the trigger on something as, I guess, un, uh, something as like, non uh, that we have not seen before in that right that this would be even crazier than the josh rosen and that justin Fields actually played well you know in, in his two years of quarterback whereas rosen was not it'd be really unprecedented if they did make a move like this but i do think like you mentioned there the biggest thing in that decision though is still the rookie contract if justin fields turns out to be good all of a sudden you have to pay him the very next year to be good whereas if bryce young hits the ground running turns out to be good turns out to be the prospect that a lot of people think he is which is this blue chip, I don't want to say can't miss, but he's going to be a high-end NFL starter type of prospect. If you really think that, if you're Ryan Poles as a GM, and you have four years of that guy in the rookie deal with the amount of cap space that they have, that's a path to a Super Bowl very quickly, whereas the Justin Fields route, you better make immense strides as a passer. And then even if he does, again, like I said, you have to pay him real quick. So it's a debate, but I do think that the lottery ticket that they're holding, the fact that it's the number one overall pick, and that you have this situation in the AFC South where the Colts are at number four, but the Texans are at number two. So if the Colts don't make a move up, they're basically giving a quarterback to the Texans in this to where I think a deal is going to get done by draft day that I think we'll see the Colts judging a one overall. So, yeah, that will be interesting. So the Bears obviously with money and potentially draft picks for the future, depending on, on what might happen. But in terms of, of QBs and, and the draft, if we talk about Trevor Lawrence, because there's the guy who went number one overall, generational talent i mean we we were aware you know people over here and not even you know people super into football but he he was transcendental in the college game and then he comes in and obviously has that yeah you know urban meyer as his head coach for some of his first season and a, a lot of disappointment i think in in terms of the way in which it played out and then he starts the the seg his second season on under doug Pedersen, and he's he's up and down a bit and then Justin Simmons intercepts him in London. And all of a sudden, it was like the flick of a switch. He suddenly went on a run. He was one of the most impressive QBs uh, in in the back end of the season and obviously even into the, the playoffs. You know, for, for you as somebody who watches QBs kind of come through um, and get drafted, was that all just down to, to the head coach? Or what are some of the factors that led to... Um, Trevor Lawrence being able to take that jump, Mike. Yeah, I think he's one of the best case studies for situation and how much that matters to success in the NFL, especially a quarterback or obviously a quarterback, because he goes from, you know, one of the worst schemes <laughs> that we've seen in recent years, a collection of wide receivers uh, that had no number one, no really even number two in that wide receiver core last year to now, you know, a bevy of wide receivers after they brought in a tight, you know, Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk, they brought in a bunch of guys and then a real head coach, you know, head coach who knows how to scheme NFL offense and Doug Peterson. So I do think you saw that distinct difference in his performance and it really happens, you know, the switch or whatever turned down the second half of the year where he was the second highest graded quarterback according to our grades here at PFF since week nine. So uh, he definitely has arrived and definitely shown the world that hey, if you put the pieces around, continue to do that or I was going to get Calvin Ridley next year. You give me those pieces, I can probably get you a championship, and that's where he's at right now. Yeah, it will be fascinating to see how, how year three goes. I suppose two of the teams who may be surprised and, and 
overperformed were the Seahawks and the Giants. Uh, you know, I mean, look at the way the season turned out for for the Seahawks. Uh, their their draft pick turned out uh, pretty well. Uh, they didn't have to pay Russ. Uh, for the Giants, I think safe to say Brian Dable eked out almost every bit of talent from that roster. But those teams are now faced, I suppose, with the with a decision around their QBs uh, in terms of Geno Smith and Daniel Jones and, and what the, they do and, and what's a fair price. And you don't obviously, you know, a, after a good season, there is the temptation to, to get it done. But from your perspective, you know, are, are, do, do, do they both, should they both, um, you know, agree to it? Who or, or should one of them look to to maybe test the, you know, um, free agency or the draft? Or what's a fair price given what we saw from Gino and from Daniel Jones this year? Yeah, I think the Seahawks are the ones who are in a much better position here because you have the leverage of saying, hey, if, you know, you're not going to take this deal, we can tag you, we can trade you, and we can draft a quarterback with the fifth overall you know, they have that draft capital. They got very lucky with that Denver Broncos trade for them to be sitting there with a position to still draft a quarterback in a strong quarterback class, in my opinion. So I think they have leverage there to say, hey, Gino, like, here's the offer. Take it or we're going to ship you out for some draft picks and draft one on ourselves. Whereas the Giants, they don't have the luxury of being towards the top of the draft to get that quarterback in free agency. Um, and I also don't think that Daniel Jones really has too much, has as big of a market to someone else as they would to the New York Giants. So I do think from that perspective, the Giants really have to go kind of all in on Daniel Jones because if you're going to go out and say the open market, trade for Derek Carr, trade for an Aaron Rodgers, trade for or go sign a Tom Brady, something like that, those guys are going to say no. You, you know, this receiving core still has so long to go, and I'm not sure you can do it with this free agent class, with this draft class, to fix it overnight that I don't think anyone's going to want to walk into that situation. So I think Daniel Jones has a lot of, leverage there to basically say hey i've shown you i can do this this was a top 10 offense and epa per play with me at the helm so pay me or else you know you guys are going to be sitting there with no one at the quarterback position next season yeah it will be interesting to to see if if, if it gets done or or could he do, potentially do a, a brock osweiler so um but look i Never do a Brock Osweiler. <laughs> that 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 would that would be quite quite. I mean, I think there's maybe a PhD thesis in Brock's career and and the way in which it ebbed and flowed, um, mm. and what played out. But look, the QBs are what we all talk about, and I think that the NFC Championship game is an interesting case study because we're going to see Jalen Hurts, who was a second round pick, lots of questions from some people when he initially kind of came in and and consistently, but. You know, he's a, in his two years of starter, he's gone to the playoffs. And obviously, Brock Purdy comes in, um, the, the final pick in the draft, QB3, um, and is playing really well. In terms of maybe kind of building on what we've been talking about, Mike, like if, you know, if per, Purdy um, and the 49ers or Hurts were to go on to win it, could it lead to a, a reevaluation a little bit amongst the league in terms of, you don't have to have a top 10 pick. Of course, on the other side, you obviously have Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. So it's it's, it's slightly different. Is it even, does it come down to the conferences? Does it come, obviously come down to who you have as head coach? I do think we're going to see that become a trend. At some point, someone's going to say, hey, you know, whether it's someone like those mid-tier of quarterbacks that are still getting paid like high-end quarterbacks, the Ryan Tannehill's of the world, 
I'd even throw like maybe like a Kirk Cousins into there where it's like, hey, the $40 million that those guys are getting paid against our cap, we could go get a Devonta Adams and an Amari Cooper for that $40 million. And we could probably force a rookie and not necessarily a rookie, but like a guy on his rookie deal to play very good football when your weapons are open all the time. You know, when you have the guys who can separate consistently, it makes your job a lot easier as a quarterback. So maybe you don't have to be, uh, you know, a top 10 NFL quarterback to lead a high-end offense if you put all that cap resources to giving a guy weapons. So I do think that could be the way we see the NFL game going or see teams decision-making-wise go. Uh, and, and maybe even with guys like Geno Smith and Daniel Jones saying, hey, you know, you're great. You're not a top five quarterback in the NFL at that point. I'm not going to put, you know, 20% of my cap towards you just to, uh, you know, ensure that I get average quarterback play. We've seen that you can probably get, there's a lot of guys around the NFL right now. There's been so much proliferation of quarterback talent entering the NFL with passing starting at a younger age, whether it's middle school through high school and into college where there's a lot of guys that can operate NFL offenses right now that aren't even starters on these teams. So you put the right pieces around him, you can still have success. So I do think that's going to be factoring into the equation for a lot of decision makers around the league. And and one thing, maybe in terms of that kind of proliferation of talent right in, in the draft um, and something that I'm just interested in getting your opinion on, it seemed for a long time that cornerbacks coming into the league, it took a little bit of time for them to find their feet. But all of a sudden, over the past couple of years, you've seen, I'm thinking Patrick Sertain, I'm thinking Sauce, uh, Tariq Woolen, um, JC Horn, uh, Derek Stingley. These guys have come in and contributed immediately. Obviously, Sauce and Sertain are, are all pro guys. Um, do you think that that is down to maybe some more of the college scheme that we're seeing in the NFL um, and, and the, the, it's easier for them to transition? Or is it that we're just seeing a really talented group um, that have come in? Um, or, or or is it a little bit of both? I think it's the reps aspect. Passing has, as I said, like early 2000s, mid-2000s, there were a lot of colleges that were passing 15 to 20 times a game that were these super run-heavy uh, you know, college offenses. Those are the past. <laughs> you, know, you won't find too many outside of like the service academies that are really still grinding other you know the, their oppositions into dust which means you have three cornerbacks on the field at one time you're getting guys get 50 60 reps a game uh, against top corners playing a number of different coverages because you can't just line up and run static stuff to try to stop the run like they used to in the past where it just press every play on the outside um you have to do about a lot of different things in college now to stop these high-powered offenses so I, I think that's more what it is it's just you're seeing the reps from these guys at a younger age and obviously like i mentioned into high school into middle school that they're getting this technique and getting a ton of reps of it against live other nfl type of competition more so than ever before and and maybe you know and i know you tweeted this out uh, earlier in january that there were three running backs that went over 1500 yards none of them made the playoffs saquon is going to be looking for a, a big payday josh jacobs after a monster year is going to be looking for a big payday has the way in which the league is going and Zeke's contract meant that they might end up getting less than they would have wanted? I do think it is. And it's also a product of the how, how many guys are hitting free agency at once. You know, if it was just Saquon in this running back class, he might get paid. You know, he might have three people bidding up his numbers. But the fact that it is Saquon and Josh Jacobs and Tony Pollard and Rashad Penny, Kareem Hunt, Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, like if you miss out on Saquon, you know, you have a price 
uh, ceiling that you're not willing to go above. And then if Saquon wants more than that, someone else bids more than that, fine. Let's go get a David Montgomery because uh, I know he could be a workhorse in my offense too. Now, obviously, it's not the same caliber of player, but cap is real and you have to make decisions like that. So I do think those guys are kind of going to be maybe a little sore at the numbers getting thrown around because of what you said there. Guys like Zeke Elliott, these second contracts, they just get hurt. They slow down. They're less effective as they get older just because of the nature of the position. So I do think all those things are factoring in, plus a super strong running back draft class that the numbers on these guys may not get super long-term deals, may not be uh, as gaudy as we've seen in years past. And we're obviously coming towards the end of January, and we're yet to see any of the head coaching vacancies filled. Um, We know that uh, I think the Colts are doing seven uh, second-round interviews. Uh, The Broncos yet to announce any second-round interviews. For for you, do, do you think that it's a, I think there were nine vacancies open last year, five this year. Is that allowing teams to do more due diligence or is it that the vacancies this year are, aren't as attractive? I think it's the latter there. They, they are not attractive positions. There's not one where are stepping into saying, you know, like uh, I'm trying to think of last year or just over the years, there's been gigs open up where it's like uh, Justin Herbert when they fired Anthony Lynn after year one, it's a job where it's like, Hey, I got a franchise quarterback. There's none of that happening. Any of these destinations that uh, any of these head coaches can go to. So I do think that's kind of the holdup right now. And I think the other big holdup is that Sean Payton's the big fish out there. Everyone wants Sean Payton. Every, every owner in the NFL who has a job opening is like, give me the guy who's won a Super Bowl. Uh, but that's going to take a trade to happen. So that's going to be the first domino to fall. Everyone's kind of holding their breath saying, can we get Sean Payton? And then after that decision ends up where Sean Payton will go, then everyone else is kind of going to be like, okay, here's now our option. So I do think those are the two big things kind of halting or slowing down this process of teams hiring, uh, you know, a new head coach. And and finally, Mike, we've got, got two, I think, fantastic championship games to look forward to this weekend. Um, kind of di- different uh, teams, obviously different styles in, in the, the conferences. But are you leaning uh, towards uh, particular teams making the Super Bowl? I, I am a little. Uh, I do think that the Cincinnati Bengals is who I'm leaning towards. I know Patrick Mahomes is going to play. The ankle's not a big deal. But it's hard for me to imagine that it's not going to impact at least his mobility and ability to escape. And that's so huge against especially this Bengals defense with all they throw at you in coverage that They've confused Mahomes on multiple occasions. That's why he's 0-3 against him. Lou Anaromo kind of has his number. And a lot of the plays he has made against the Bengals over the years have been outside the pocket or have been those second reaction plays that he's so good at. Taking those away from him, Mahomes is just not Mahomes at that point. So uh, I like the Bengals. And on the other side, I like the 49ers. I just think this defense is so dominant right now. It is so difficult to attack. Uh, and obviously, Demeco Ryan's a big part of that. And he's one of the big fish in the coaching search as well. But this this team just has so much talent all around, and Brock Purdy hasn't blinked yet. You know he's made. He's obviously not as good and as talented as someone like a Jalen Hurts, but he has more options, and he has basically unlimited uh, you know layups in that offense. That I do just think that this 49ers team, on paper, is the best team uh, in football right now, outside of the quarterback position. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating. I mean, when you're talking about the, the Chiefs as underdogs and this kind of stacked Eagles roster as uh, as underdogs as well, uh, it is going to be a late one uh, on this side of the Atlantic, but one that I think is worth staying up for. Uh, Mike, uh, I can attest to anyone uh, watching this, you were a fantastic follow on Twitter. 
uh, at PFF underscore Mike. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to chat to me today. No, thank you so much for having me.